Welcome to the Leading with Vulnerability podcast. I'm your host, Yuma Barnett, and today my guest is uh, Alejandro Villanueva. And yes, you heard that correctly, Alejandro Villanueva of the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, you're probably wondering how I know him, and it's a pretty funny story. And I'll share it real, real quick before I pass it off to Ali to introduce himself. But uh, in my time in Ranger Regiment, I did take a break, and I was up at 5th Ranger Training Battalion for a while as a Ranger School instructor and, uh, in Bravo Company. And you have a lot of rangers come through they all look the same and then ali comes through and he doesn't look the same right and we're at the height of the war there in afghanistan and uh, i just remember seeing him kind of walk through all the students head and shoulders above everybody and i go one thing i'm getting behind this guy if i'm ever in a gunfight and two i'm pretty sure he's gonna get shot he's just everything is going on and then he you know he was not your typical ranger school student he crushed in ranger school no problems you know got him his go got him out of the mountains and then i run back into him like most good leaders in the army that are ranger qualified they find their way to the 75th ranger regiment and all he came down to 175 and i served with him briefly as a company xo and an alpha company and um kept in touch with him you know like a good ranger officer ncos as he is and he, he was uh, willing to do this for me and he actually starts training camp later this week so uh thanks for taking some time i'll hand it off to you to introduce yourself thanks you man well yeah so i'm uh, alejandro villanueva played for the baltimore ravens and uh, and as you said i served some time in the in the military with 10th mount and in 175 uh for for the good old years of of the afghan war yeah yeah so what what was your time at the when you came in you know you came what's your story coming in and going up to where you went to west point yeah so that's interesting so i guess you know to know my background story you have to sort of know you know where i come from yeah and so uh if you look at a map of europe and you look at the western side and you look at spain and you look at the southern tip right right next to africa there's a very small province called cadiz uh, and this province has been historically incredibly relevant uh, throughout history. So it's one of the oldest cities in the world, oldest city in Europe. It was founded by the Phoenicians some, you know, 1,200 years before the Common Era. And then, you know, most empires have, have had a significant relevance in the area. So it was the second largest uh, population uh, outside of Rome during the Roman Empire for a brief period of time. Uh, then. The, the British came and, and, and fought the Battle of Trafalgar, the, the famous battle that, uh, you know, they, they named the square uh, after that uh, out in London. The French came and seized the city, uh, you know, back in their heyday. So, you know, it's, it's only fitting that the United States, you know, has a presence there. Yeah. And that is Rhode Naval Station. So the United States has a, a military installation uh, where they run, you know, you know over the last... 30 years of my life or so they've, they've had you know different different ships and yep. different different assets obviously it was a a big uh pathway to iraq and afghanistan and so that's where i grew up my dad was in the spanish navy uh he he learned how to fly in in Meridian, mississippi in pensacola and so that's you know while he was doing all this training that's where i was born and then you know i was as a kid i grew up you know almost if you're a veteran uh, and you've ever been to Manas and, and, and you look at the bathrooms and you see everything that's written on the walls and, and, and how the, the troops cycle through and, and they get ready to, 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 go to, to, to go to war. You see C-5s and C-17s yeah. landing every hour. That's sort of the environment that I grew up. You know, I had, on the Spanish side, I had bullfighters and they were, they were awesome. That's, that's who everybody kind of praised. And then Marines, you know, coming in 
getting their laughs, the, the last lift, you know, at the yeah. gym, going to the PAGs and buying all the dip they can have. And, and, and you had some, some Spanish kids, some locals, I guess, running around. And, and, and I was one of those kids. So um, I, I was always very curious to see where those C-17s would land, to see, you know, what, what was all this sort of um, this synergy and this, and this excitement and this, and this, this vision that I had of what, what it was like to be a man. Uh, you know, I, I had I had this 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 dream come true of of, of serving in the in the military, and, yeah. and you know, uh, most kids spend hours playing Call of Duty. Uh, they watch all the war movies, and so for me, it was it was something that I, that I had to see for myself. And so, when I was 17 years old, I had to make a decision whether I was going to stay in Spain and study and become, you know, just another European citizen. Uh, you know. Trying to figure out the, uh, the you know how to maneuver on a forty percent unemployment, you know, on <laughs> yeah, my yeah. region and whatnot, and uh, and then I had the the option of of maybe playing sports or applying to one of the academies. You know, I was a pretty good student, and uh, and I went to an American high school for my last two years in Belgium, and so um, I decided to visit the academies, all three of uh, all two all two of them. So I knew for a fact that I was not going to be a pilot because I was right. too tall. Right. But I was really interested in becoming a Marine. Marine was 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 my dream. Um, you know, becoming a Marine and, and saying goodbye to my parents and rode a naval station. That's that's kind of what I wanted to do in my life. But I found out that I was colorblind. You know, one of those tests with the they put the, the the numbers in the circle. Yep. And so I saw my options as very limited, and I decided to go to West Point, uh, and then you know try out for the football team to see if I could have the full American experience of right. playing football and. Uh, and serving in the military. So when I was 17, you know, it was the second time that I came to the United States. I was born here, spent six months in Newport, Rhode Island, and then I came in, you know, to try to learn and, and pick up everything. So did you have any football experience prior to going to West Point? Yeah, so I, I played a little bit of football in, in high school for for the, the the team that we had on, on post. So I went okay. to Shape Belgium. That was the yep. name of the high school, Supreme Headquarters, Allied Powers Europe. It's a, it's a small school. I think I graduated with maybe 40 kids. Oh, yeah, wow. And we used to play all the teams um, that were around Germany and around uh, Europe uh, with all the, the, you know, the sons of the service members out there. So uh, Friday night, you get on a bus and then you would drive through the night, uh, go to Ramstein and then play the, you sleep at the gym floor of the, you know, MWR. Yeah. And then play the play the you know the Ramstein Lions or whoever they were on Saturday, and then get on the bus and right back all the way to oh, to Belgium. So in your in your time at West Point, you obviously made the football team there. Um, what was that experience like? The whole experience, like the West Point playing football in college alone, is an experience. Then you got to go to West Point. You have all the academics that are along with it. Just the physical fitness standards that go along with that. What was that like? For yeah. You? So West Point was an unbelievable. I mean, Army football. During, you know, I went in there in 2006. So yeah. imagine the atmosphere of the military in 2006, right. especially in the army. You know, both wars are going on. Uh, Iraq, especially, is at the peak of the war. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of intensity in, right. in, in, in all the training and everything that goes on. But for me, it was really cool because it was kind of like fulfilling my, you know, fulfilling my, my destiny. So I, I knew that I wanted to serve. The military environment did not... It was not something new to me. You know, yeah. I was I was very used to seeing everybody in uniform. 
Uh, you know, my dad was in the service and we moved around quite a bit. I never lived outside of a military base. So all those things were very easy to me. Uh, academics, you know, my, my dad was always really big into academics, so it was not challenging from that standpoint. Uh, and then, you know, football-wise, uh, football-wise was pretty interesting because I never really played sports. And, and sports were, was never a priority in my life. Right. Kind of ironic that now I'm a professional <laughs> yeah, that football is player. Ironic, yeah. But uh, <laughs> Army, football, Army football was... I mean, football was like, you know, being in prison a little bit, you know, there was, <laughs> yeah, I've heard there was that. prison rules. Uh, the culture there was, was pretty, pretty crazy. And, um, and my personality is, you know, I've moved so much in my life that I kind of know the drill. You know, most people don't move, you know, more than two, three times in their yeah. lifetime. You know, I think I moved 11 times, right. you know, up until high school. So when I got to Army football, I saw what was going on in the locker room. I saw the things that people value, and I said, "All right, well, let's go. Let's let's start let's start dancing," you know. And uh, it took me a couple of years to um, to pick up, you know, the little things about football, like trying hard during drills and right. giving all your best. Like, you know, I, those things were were so new to me, you know. Right. And, and and the coaches yelling, you know, I was like, "Why, why are they yelling? Why, yeah. why is there so much anger in, yeah. in, in this in the sport?" But it was really fun, and ultimately, it was a very very special place because. We all knew that we we're going to go to war. We all knew that Iraq and Afghanistan were, uh, you know, our first duty assignment upon yeah. graduation. And so everybody had to sort of make up their minds as to who they were going to be and what type of leader they were going to be, um, you know, as you were growing uh, throughout West Point. So for me, it was a, a really interesting experience. Nobody would ever thought that I would have gone infantry, you know, my right. first year. Nobody would ever thought that I would have gone to Ranger Regiment. Um, but, you know... There's a lot of experience that you could have, you know, chosen. You yeah. Know, you, and then, you know, towards the end, I fully bought in. I, I have tremendous respect for the organization that is, you know, Army football and, and especially West Point. So, uh, interesting years, very fun, I guess. Yeah, you know, right. you, you could call it fun, but uh, character building. Yeah, for sure. But but through a lot of learning, through a lot of a lot of mistakes, and through a lot of. Yeah. you know lessons of you know what are you doing knucklehead yeah you know? absolutely so. yeah no different than most any other kid about that for age, sure right? for sure so it football then you commission infantry did, did, was that your choice did, was that your first choice you oh my god yeah for yeah. sure for yeah. sure you know it's really interesting when you go to west point um everybody can pick their branches you right. know you have the branch night which is a big deal uh and you know among the cadets among the but, you know, obviously the men, because, you know, the infantry was only um, allowed for men at the time. I don't know what, what the, the, the rules are now. You know, infantry was what you wanted to be. Right. You know, infantry was like, especially because you especially could during that time. Of, right. In the in the army. Right. Because, you know, you got to understand that most infantry units, some infantry units will have to come train us during the summer. Yeah. So my first, the first unit that trained me when I was there was the 82nd Airborne. You know, oh, right, so yeah. you have... You know, imagine a platoon sergeant who just gets back from an 18th month deployment to, from Iraq. Yep. And as soon as they get back, they say, hey, you got to go train these cadets. <laughs> and so for me, it was like, wow, this is the bitterness, the, oh, yeah. the anger, the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the small club. You yeah. know, you start seeing the combat patches, the CIBs. You start learning that world of, of what people value in the military. Yeah. And my eyes were just like, wow, this is it, you yeah. know. And, 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 and so obviously in, in the cadet world, branch and infantry was, you know, everybody wants to branch infantry. Everybody wants to be at the tip of the spear. Yep. For four years, you could just get told, you know, 
you know, Rangers lead the way the whole time. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a it's a airborne culture. The, you know that all that, especially during the, you know, two thousand and six to two thousand and ten years was, was uh, you know, was was pretty ingrained in everyone's minds because, you know, you gotta understand that all these officers they get out of combat, they go to West Point, and there's that sort of pecking order oh, yeah. of who's the boss of who and who carries how do you carry yourself around especially in the NCO world as well, you know, so um, everything that had to do with the infantry, everything that had to do with Ranger, everything that had to do with all the challenges, you know, I was all about it. And so I, uh, I, I branched infantry, branched detail engineers, because I also wanted to make sure that I would have a, a, a plan B all right, yeah. after my first assignment uh, in the infantry, you know, thinking that if the infantry thing will go very well, that I'll probably just you know, try to stay in the infantry. Yeah. But I really didn't have a plan beyond the first five years right. of, uh, of serving as a platoon leader. Platoon leader was, is like the dream job. Yep. You know, don't mess it up. That's the job. Everybody's telling you you're going to get your whole platoon killed the whole time, you know. <laughs> yeah, and that's, absolutely. Yeah. And that's the sort of the challenge. So I branched infantry. And then after that, it was just, you know, full go. Yeah. I, I waived my, my, my leave time. I looked at the PAX chart. I looked at the first unit that was going to go and in, in where. And it was... 10th Mount, going to Kandahar, and I said, yeah, let's sign me up, let's go. Yeah, so that 10th Mount was your first assignment. 10th Mount, which, which unit? 287. And then how long were you there before you headed overseas to Kandahar? So, no, 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 no time at all. So this is really interesting. So in the, in the, in the West Point world, you know, if you, if you, so if you want to go the route, you say you want to go infantry, you want to be, you know, you want to be the guy. Then you have to figure out, you know, if you're going to be the guy because deployments are happening and there's and they had that big rotation. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know, I don't know what it's like in the army now for yeah. a lieutenant who's graduating and he's saying, I don't know what I'm going to be doing. Yep. But back in the day, you could have some predictability, and there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of channels of information of who's deploying where, and you could look at PAX charts and you could hear from the, you know, rumors of of higher ups. Saying, yeah, yeah. hey, you know, this is the unit that's going here or, or there. So for me, it was really interesting because Obama came to West Point and he announced the the plan for, uh, the, you know, the strategy. You know, yeah. He said, we're going to do the surge. We're going to put 30,000 troops in, you know, Hellman and Kandahar. And he said that in February. So I got my branch right around the same time. And then I selected four drum based on a tip that a classmate <laughs> gave me that his dad, who was a general, told him, that 3rd Brigade, 10th Mountain Division was supposed to go to Iraq, is now going to Kandahar as part of the surge. And you want to be in Kandahar. That's, yeah. the, that's the hot spot. Uh, go, to the, go to Zari District. I was going to say, Zari Panjaway. Right, yeah. right. So go to Zari, uh, 10th Mountain Division, 3rd Brigade. You want to be in 3rd Brigade. Don't want to be in 2nd Brigade. Because if you go to 2nd Brigade, you're going to be sitting you know, for a year and a half. So I got 2nd Brigade. And then I had to send a memo, try to switch it up, because I wanted to be in 3rd Brigade so badly. Yeah. And then finally, I got my orders to go to 3rd Brigade. Uh, I graduated in May. I waived all my leave time so I could start soon. And then I said to myself, okay, they're leaving, they're leaving in March. And this is, this is June when, I'm st when I start my Bullock. I have to finish Bullock. Yep. I, have to, I, have to, <laughs> I have to go to Ranger School, and I cannot fail. I cannot, right. I cannot recycle. Then my plan was to fail the push-ups at Airborne School so I could be one of the first lieutenants <laughs> to get there. And then I could get a platoon yeah. because I knew that the platoons were drying up. And obviously you hear all the rumors yeah, and yeah. you want to be there as soon as possible. 
So uh, so I went to ranger school. You know, as soon as I saw you, I said, please don't tell me you're going to give me a no-go because I'm too tall. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make an example out of me. But I was miraculously, you know, able, you know, and there's, there's, there's a lot of luck involved in oh, ranger yeah. school. So I was able to go through straight through. Then somebody told me, please don't fail the push-ups at airborne school. That'll, that'll be, that'll, you, you, it looks so bad, you know, right. when you get to the unit. Finished airborne school in February, and then I drove up to Fort Drum, and then I deployed two weeks later. Oh, man. As a PL? No. So that's the thing that I didn't realize. I didn't realize that you show up and you get a, a platoon. You know, most yeah. platoons are already taken up. Yeah. Uh, you know, unfortunately, a platoon, a platoon leader got hurt right. within, you know, two months of, of being there. Uh, and so I, I, you know, I got a platoon, I think in, you know, maybe May, early May. And so from that point on, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was what I, what I was hoping for, what I've trained for. Yeah. And, and the dream was, was, was coming on in front of my ass. So how was that first rotation over there? Oh, you know, everybody has a very romanticized idea of, of war, you yeah. know, of, you got to understand all the stories that you've heard. I mean, thousands and thousands of hours of a squad leader from 82nd division your freshman year telling you his iraq stories of being in the 50 cal and a humvee and you know doing this and that and then you talk to a ranger one time yeah. and the ranger's very quiet and you know he's very professional right and, you know and then you talk to somebody from third id who's you know, just getting back from so and so and so i had an idea of what warfare was going to look like based on the unit that you were assigned to. So I was trying to avoid convoys oh, and yeah. vehicles, you know, as, as much as I could, just because I know how hectic they were yeah. every single time we try to do training. I mean, you try to do training in the military with vehicles. None of the radios work. Right. Something always goes wrong. It's just super messy. And I, and, and, and I was, you know, I, I was hoping that I would not be in a mechanized unit. Yeah. That had to do these, you know, 190 mile, you know, missions, you know, to, to, to clear villages. Yeah. I was hoping that I would be as closely to a ranger school as yeah. possible, you know, dismount a platoon, go yeah. out and just clear NAIs. And so that's kind of what it was, you know, it, it was it was just like that. It was it was it was it was ranger school all over again in Afghanistan, yeah. you know, and, and, and putting all the pieces together. Um of 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 receiving the mission, you know, and, and, and doing the con up and going through the going through those those tabulations and, and you know, I, I guess everybody has an idea of what it was gonna be like, you know, yeah. and then it kind of unfolds in different ways. Um there was there was a lot of fighting in Kandahar. Yeah. So there there was no shortage of of action. You know, I know other other units in that in that time were Maybe a little bit frustrated because they were not seen as much, and and that's you know when you're 21 years old, that's you can care you less. That's yeah. all you want, you know. That's, it's 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 crazy, you know. I think Napoleon said, you know, you know, men will die for a little ribbon, you know. Yeah. That's that's what they look for, and and that's kind of I mean, in the military was get your CIB, get your combat patch, you know. That's, you know, it's it's sad now to think that that's yeah. that's something that matters so yeah. much, but it drives people to do you know yeah. unbelievable things. Um, on the other side, the Afghan war was very complex as well. Very. Yeah. And so you're a battle space owner, you want to get after it, but then it's not as easy as you think. And right. so you have to do all these missions to protect the people, but the people don't really want you. Yeah. You know, the people are just saying, you know, what are you doing? You're walking through my fields every day. Obviously, you know that I'm with the Taliban. He's my cousin. They sleep right. in my house. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's telling the truth. You're doing these shuras and... 
and you really don't know how to excel as a platoon leader because right. you know it's impossible to measure success so you know those were some of the frustrating things but the experience of being with a group of men you know given a task completing the task having the common identity of you know we're one alpha yeah. 287 you know we're going after it today cuz we're going to you know, South San Jure, and yeah. we're about to get into a firefight. We know we are. We got experience because we were there yesterday. We know the area. We know what to look for. We're we're getting really smart as the the things to look at. You know, it's it's um it's almost it's becoming a warrior. So you know, from that standpoint, I do think that I I left as a as a as a child as a kid, and then you come out of it as a man. You yeah, come absolutely. out of it incredibly confident. Yep. You know how to run missions where you're under fire. Your voice changes on the radio towards the end of the line. At first, you're just speaking a lot, you know, you're clogging the radio and you're saying all these things. And now, you know, towards the end, you you understand how to, you know, the the patience and then the violence of action and and your personality and and, and how everybody fits in the platoon and and their role. So it was was an unbelievable experience. I mean, it's now it's nostalgic, you know. You know, think about the man, you know, we're talking earlier about the end of the Afghan war, you know. There's there's a lot of feelings to unpack in, in the experience that it is you know a, a deployment as a battle space owner yeah. when you own a piece of land and yep. you're trying to secure the people of Zari District right. you know so um, yeah but overall I think it was um, a very fulfilling experience um, I, I definitely made incredible friendships yeah I learned so much from everyone around me and everyone around me had you know, so much, um, you know, a tremendous impact in my life. Yeah. And so I think I'm going to spend the rest of my days always thinking them and, and thinking of them and, and how much they meant to me. Yeah, I feel kind of the same way as we look back at Afghanistan. And, and so during that time, when did you know you wanted to drop a RAS packet and come to the regiment? So that's interesting. So one of the, one, one night, I mean, I don't know, I guess, I, guess, I mean, I'll, I'll, I've always been really, I've always been very hesitant about talking about missions because right. I, you know, I was always like, oh, you know, OPSEC, you know, yep. they'll become a Navy SEAL and talk about you. you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like just right. always make sure that you, you know, you, you don't say who you did a yeah. mission with. But uh, one night we got a call in the middle of the night, at three o'clock in the morning. Oh, not maybe three o'clock, but like maybe midnight. It's like, hey, you know, get up. Um, somebody, some, some guys from whatever are going to come here and do the AO and do a mission and you need to stay, you need to go with them because they're going to, they're going to hand you the battle space. And I was like, what, you know, what are you talking about? What <laughs> right. is this? It's like, yeah, just get, you know, get 12 people ready. You know, they're going to land in the cop. You're going to go out and do a mission with them. And, uh, um, you know, this, this is what you got to do for the night. I was QRF. So that's, that's what I had to do. And sure enough, you know, to Chinook's land, it's the Rangers, you know, uh, as a platoon leader, to, to, to see the Rangers come in, you're like, wow. You know what I mean? Like, look at their gear. Right, yeah. You know, they have so many assets in the air. Yep. They're about to go into the worst part of the AO, and they're walking a single file. They don't care. It's the middle of the night. <laughs> they had so much confidence. And, and you start seeing how, how they operate. It's, this, this, yeah. the, the Rangers operate like the Roman Legion. You know, right. it's, this is the bread and butter. This is what we do. You know, you might criticize, you might not criticize, but this it just it just works and operates. Yeah. And so I was able to do a mission with the Rangers as kind of like the battle space owner. Yeah. You know, they, <laughs> you know, my nods, you know, they didn't work. I had the the, <laughs> the you know VS fourteen or whatever, yeah. the Ranger school ones. Yeah, they all had their super nice gear, and I was just walking with them and and and, and you know, kind of like seeing like whole, you know, yeah. this is this is it. This is this. I'm touching the magic right, right. now. Yeah. 
I was not very impressed in terms of, you know, you know, it, it's, it goes back to everything. You know, the expectations that you have yeah. of of what are the yeah. range. You know, you think you're gonna see everybody bound over what's like Spider Man, you right. know, on rooftops. It's, yeah. it's just a very, you know, everything's the same way. The tactics are very. It's the same. Very, yes. yeah, yeah, you know. So, but but then I was like, oh wow, you know, these. I was talking to to one of my teammates who was on that mission from Army football. Oh you know? yeah, yeah. So I'm like, Jesus, you know, what are you doing here? You know, what I mean, and, you know, he can't tell me anything about the mission. Who's there? What are they doing? But I was so curious. I was just. Yeah. You know, smitten by the fact that I was chosen to <laughs> to be the the BS the the, the battle space owner, and then uh, when I got back, um, when I got back from Afghanistan, I would have to say that a lot of emotional stuff, you know, went in, and you know, the first time you come back from from a, a twelve month deployment, um, yeah, that's a long time. It's tough. It's tough. You lose men in the deployment. Yeah. A lot of your men get get hurt, and and it's man, it's 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 a, it's a lot it's a lot of it's a it's a very it's a very tough existential crisis that you go through when you get back you know what is it that i'm doing right now right i mean i remember i remember getting back to fort drum and you have to do i mean you, you got to go back into the big army so you have to do your um i have to do my vehicle inspections oh okay? yeah so my company commander you know and and in the state of new york you have to have a sticker for your inspection so i went to get my inspection you know, from a random garage, and and the guys like, yeah, your uh, the female receptor of your seatbelt is is broken. You have to change it. I cannot pass you the inspection, so I, I can't drive. So I went to the Ford dealership. I'm sorry, I said Ford. I went to the dealership, <laughs> and I tried to get it fixed. I say, hey, listen, the female receptor of this truck is broken. Can you please help me fix it? And it's like, yeah, sure, but sit down. Fifteen minutes later, the comments go, yeah, it's gonna be about four hundred fifty dollars. We're gonna have to change the whole system. And I was thinking, like, damn, $450. And I just happened to walk across the street to a random, you know, garage. And I said, hey, you know, how much would you charge me to change the female? I said, oh, it's 20 bucks. You know, here's one right here. Oh, jeez. And I just lost my mind. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so I have a very tough time controlling my emotions. I didn't have four squat leaders, you know, looking yeah. at me saying, sir, you know. Yeah, back up. Yeah, yeah back up. <laughs> this is not the time. So I was you know, I had a really bad experience. They call the cops, you know. Oh, yeah. I was, yeah, I was just, I was just, I was very frustrated. I mean, I was the owner of a of of, of a village. You right. Know? I was, yeah. I was, I, I was, I was everything. I had so much authority, so much responsibility, so much purpose. Yeah. And now I get back, and somebody's trying to charge me four hundred fifty. I mean, that right there, just I don't know why. Maybe all the frustration just yeah. went out in, in ten seconds and and exploded. And then I said, man, the only solution for me is to go back. I need to go back to Afghanistan. And so I had two options. You can either become a Green Beret, which is 18 months. Yep. And then you just got to go train people, which I, I, I saw them do it. Or you can just become a Ranger. And then you can just get on that rotation. Yep. You know? And so um, I didn't know if, if, if I had what it takes to become a Ranger because it is a very exclusive community, I would say. Right. And there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a mold of what they, of what they look yeah. for. And, and I didn't know if I, if, if I was... You know, good enough to, to serve in regiment, but you know, I applied through the process. I got in shape, uh, and then it worked out. And then, as soon as I got back from Afghanistan, I think, I think I got back in June, and then in November I was back back in Afghanistan. I hope everybody enjoyed the uh, first of two episodes with uh, Alejandro Villanueva. 
Um, in our episode number two, Ollie's going to talk about his time in the 75th Ranger Regiment and how he transitioned from the 75th into the NFL. It's a great story. Uh, it's a story that doesn't matter if you're going into the NFL or just transitioning out of service. There's definitely some lessons to be learned there, and I hope you guys all tune in for that episode. And I know this is unique. We don't You don't usually see us at the end of an episode or hear us at the end of an episode, but we wanted to come on here and tell you a few things about the podcast and uh, – Kate's going to Kate's going to jump in and talk a little bit about it. <laughs> um, we have some really good episodes coming up and um, we are hoping that you guys tune in every in the following weeks. Um, but you're looking at the production team right now. Um, we do this and right now it's a passion project. We hope to grow it to be something bigger, um, to share these stories that we think are important. And um, we do this in our spare time, late at night, um, when it's quiet. Um, and it's going to take a little more than that to get these episodes out. We started a Patreon, and Yuma will tell you guys a little bit about it. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with Patreon, uh, Patreon is a website where you can go and support content creators of all uh, from any type of venue or platform. In our case, obviously, we're supporting the Leading with Vulnerability podcast. You can go on to our website <laughs> and find uh, the Patreon link or go straight to Patreon dot com and um, click or look for leading with vulnerability and find our Patreon and the, to become a Patreon, you get some unique benefits with it. Mm-hmm. You get um, some swag. We have some swag that we can send out. Um, you get on the email list and hopefully in the future we'll have enough people that would be interested in kind of a meetup, a meet and greet. Um, we can, you know, plan something like going to coffee or having a barbecue, something like that. But just looking at the people who support us looking at them in the face and meeting these people um, that kind of support us. Um, that's something that we think would be really important and really great. So, yeah. So if you, if you can go on there and support us, what makes this podcast unique and this video podcast unique is I'm not doing the virtual podcast, the virtual interviews. Um, I either go to the uh, person who's going to be interviewed or they come to me. So for uh, Ali, for example, we, Kate and I actually went to Miami and interviewed him and another close friend of mine who used to be in the regiment and went to Northwestern Law School. So that's what makes it unique. We, we go to them because I just think there's so much better conversation when you're sitting in the same room with somebody and you can look them in the eye and have these deep and meaningful, vulnerable conversations. And like I said, that's not, you know, that's we're not this is not income generating. We're doing all this out <laughs> of uh, out of our own pocket. So uh, this is me. This is us being vulnerable and asking for your help if you can give it. And if you can't fully understand, we're going to keep trucking along and keep doing it. Um, It's really important and helps out the channel a lot. If you're on watching us on YouTube, if you go on there and leave a comment or like it or subscribe. And if you're on the podcast platforms, if you can go on there and leave a review, it'll also help out the the channel on both mediums a lot. And we just uh, we really appreciate it. I know we've had an impact and I'm a, if I can help just one mm-hmm. person, I don't care if a service member or a spouse or a non-service member have a better life. Uh, this will all be worth it with or without your support, but I, I won't turn it down and we'd greatly appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're looking for the podcast itself um, or the Patreon to get more information about that, you can go to our website, leadingwithvulnerability.net and um, 
I think you're going to share it in this video too. Yeah, you'll see the video. I put the links to the website and the uh, Patreon on there. And again, I just thanks for everybody who's listening and giving all the feedback. It's greatly appreciated. And uh, we'll look forward to, to uh, you guys listening in on the next episode. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>